I'm Mike Boyle, and you're listening to The Impact Show with Jim Kilbasso. Welcome to The Impact Show. Beyond training, beyond practice, this is the podcast for strength and conditioning coaches, sport coaches, personal trainers, and sports fitness entrepreneurs who want to increase the impact they have on the people around them. And now, here's your host, coach, author, and entrepreneur, Jim Kilbasso.
Let's get into our sports and fitness business discussion for today. Once again, I've got the amazing Ryan Ketchum, the Vice President of Sales and Marketing for the Fitness Consulting Group and co-owner of Fitness Revolution and a, and a good friend and a great business person. Today, Ryan and I are going to talk about the top marketing methods for your sports performance or sports training business. Well, really, I'm not going to be talking about it. Ryan's going to talk about it, and I'm just going to interject once in a while. So, Ryan, thanks again for coming in and talking about uh, some of these things and sharing all of this wisdom. Why don't you go ahead and get started? I know you've already got some great thoughts on top marketing methods for these sports performance type of businesses. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I think you have this amazing Ryan Ketchum, which made me think that I was like a magician coming on, on the stage. So, you, you, um, you, kind of, you could be a magician. You, you know, you're better looking than David Copperfield. I'm sure you've got some, uh, some skills. <laughs> he has better assistants. Like, you know, he's got like the, the um, assistants that are all in their sequence things. I don't have any of those in my office. So you could have, uh, to get that. You could maybe put Nick Barry in a, in a coffin and chop him in half. I'm not sure he trusts me to do that. We have a lot of trust between us, but not I'm not much. sure that much. And it's a funny story. I actually um, had a magic set when I was a kid, including a top hat. So that's a fun Stop. fact for everybody, um, an embarrassing fact. <laughs> I think we all have tried to be magicians at one point. Yeah. All, all right. right, so so give us some magic uh, marketing tips. Instead. Some marketing magic. Right? How do you get people to magically appear within the business? And yes. To start things off, you've got to really get down to what is marketing in general. So if we set that expectation early on, then we can talk about how do you get athletes in or how do you get clients into your business. And marketing is really about storytelling. And then you have to figure out where the marketing and sales cross over. A lot of people bundle them together and, and that's perfectly fine. But when we look at at things. Marketing is about storytelling and selling is about influencing. And not influencing or persuading in a bad way, but it's influencing someone to take an action that will better themselves. So uh, an athlete working with you to enhance their performance, you know that by working with you, it's going to help them out, that there's an exchange of value there. The marketing part of that is all about telling a story that attracts that person, that resonates with them. And you need to take them on a little bit of a journey. Um, and so there's some tactics, there's some methods you can take. Um, and ones that I've used when I helped build up a pretty good sports performance based business. And they're just, I think that anyone can use them. It just takes a little finessing. You've got to remember who you're marketing to. Um, and with athletes in particular, a lot of times you're marketing to the coach or the parent right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. You've got to get them to buy in because it's pretty easy to get the athlete to buy in once they experience a little bit of what you have to offer. And you're really trying to market and sell the coach and the parent that you're worth investing time, money, whatever it might be, and letting letting you into their lives to help mm-hmm. their athletes. And for the client, like for fitness or other businesses where you're just marketing to clients, it's a lot less of a challenge because your marketing usually direct to that person. Right. So yeah. what are some methods that you can use? One thing you need to look at is don't put yourself on a pedestal early on and try to sell things or market things that are of interest to very little people. And so the things and mistakes I see people make is they'll run uh, like an ACL prevention 
a seminar or a workshop. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is nobody cares about tearing their ACL until they tore their ACL. <laughs> or and it's coming from a person that's tore the ACL, so I get it. It's mm-hmm. not fun. But nobody cares about that, or unless a prominent athlete just did that. So go ahead and market the things that they want right now. Market speed, market agility, market vertical jumps, market you know combine performance. Whatever you have to do, get them to experience what you have to offer. Because it's not about the oh I can't make a long term change or I really can't help a kid get faster, you know, in one camp or one clinic. Don't worry about that right from the beginning because you have to sell that experience first before they commit to everything else down the road. And so that is one of the top marketing methods that I used when we were building our sports performance business was putting on workshops and clinics. Mm-hmm. And so we would go to every coach, every school, every AAU organization, every youth uh, sports organization, and we would put out there and we had a couple of canned approaches that we would take. We would have, you know, a speed workshop. We'd have uh, something for power training. We'd have something just for strength. And so we would have some canned approaches. But the way you can find out what the coaches want or what the parents want, if it's a parent organizing this, is that you just start to ask them. And this is where you become friends with them more so than an adversary, which is usually what a strength coach will go in and do. Is they'll go in and try to prove that my way is better than your way. And let me work with your athletes because I can help. Yeah, you see that all the time. And if you flip that, and I use baseball as an example a lot because it's really easy. But if you were the strength coach for a baseball team, and you had some excellent pitchers in there working with you, and this pitching coach who you've never heard of or don't know much about came into your facility and said, hey, I'd love to work with your pitchers. I can add three miles an hour to every one of their fastballs. Let me work with them. Would you just hand over your athletes without doing any investigation on this at all? Or what if worse, what if they came in and told you, you're doing that exercise wrong if you really want to help these athletes. Here's how you should do it. It's <laughs> the same exact approach yeah. that they take. I see that happen a lot, though, and people kind of use that as a marketing method. They're like, I'm just going to go in and hang out and tell them all the things they're doing wrong. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it, yeah, it seems like a really good, yeah. uh, good play until you think about who you're dealing with. Right. It's a lot of alpha male or dominant personalities that don't want to be wrong, and they think they're right already. So you've got to be friends with them. So pal up with them a little bit. Say, hey, I'd love to learn a little bit more about what you do. The easiest way in is if you're already working with one of their athletes or you have, and you say, hey, I'm working with this so-and-so athlete. I know, you know, I want to make sure that I'm not stepping on any toes. I'd love to learn a little bit more about what you guys are doing so that I can make sure what I'm doing is complimenting that and I'm helping this. You know these athletes better than anyone. You get to work with them every day. So, you know, what are you seeing? What are you doing? What uh And the best thing you can do is ask, you know, where do you think or what do you think is holding you guys back from being where you want to be next season or this season? Because when they give you that answer, that's what your play is right there. Yeah. They obviously don't know how to do it. So if they say we're not fast enough, we're not tough enough, we're not strong enough, whatever, we were hurt a lot. Then you come in with, hey, I'd love to come in, do a workshop, do a free clinic with your athletes, and this is what I'll do. Um, and then, you know, if we choose to, to work together later, that's great. But go in and do free workshops and clinics. Mm-hmm. They don't always pay off right away because sometimes you'll be able to ask 
kids if they want to come train with you. Other times they won't. But no matter what, you're starting to build that brand and your reputation in the community because it's it's the basically authority or uh, somebody's endorsing you. So it's that by association factor. So if their coach says, this is the guy, and he puts you in front of all the athletes, and those athletes have fun and like what you did, then the next time they think about training in the offseason and when they go tell their parents about it, they'll be thinking about working with you. You'll yeah. be the first person at the top of their mind. So while I'm, it doesn't always pay off right away, this is a way to build that brand within the community. I'm really glad that you said that sometimes it doesn't pay off right away because there have been, I'll call them deals or uh, relationships that I, I slow cooked for years before something really happened. And when I say slow cooked, I mean... I did I did workshops or I would come in and do something with a team or meet with a coach for years before they actually committed to doing something um, with us. So I'm glad that you glad you mentioned that. Yeah, and that's where it's all about you know, relationship building. And within the sports performance community, I think that until you get a good reputation in your community of producing really good athletes. And sometimes that's by luck. Like sometimes you just get the luck of the draw and uh, mm-hmm. you get the kid that is a D1, you know, five-star prospect. And, mm-hmm. All right, great. But when you can start taking the mediocre kids and making them, you know, all state, uh, all conference, and people take notice and they know yeah. where they're training at. And so it does take time to build those, those relationships. The other cool thing that you can do is to play off of the workshops or clinics is partner up with either a school or a lot of times you can do this if there's a performance like physical therapy um, company where you live mm-hmm. is partner with them and do combines of testing mm-hmm. and you just create a really simple battery of tests i mean it's pretty standard for everything right you want some strength some explosive some speed uh, maybe endurance depending on what it is you create a battery of tests like the combine and you test them and you have each kid comes out with a scorecard and that scorecard can then tell them, well, based off of what we know, that you need to improve on this, this, or this, and, or these are your strengths. And if you want to improve on this, this, or this, we'd love to set up a consultation with you and show you exactly how to do that. That's a great marketing point because every yeah. athlete wants to know where they stand against everyone else. And so if you can create these combines or testing programs, um, you can either do it with the whole community or, with, you know, again, go to the individual teams or organizations. Um, that can be a huge, huge marketing point for you. Yeah, and, and that's worked for us several times as well, and so have the uh, the workshops and clinics. Um, you know, once again, I, I feel like these things are um, really important for people to to think about way beforehand. As you know, how are we going to get in front of people? How are we going to become uh, a resource? And how are we going to be looked at as experts? And if you're not great at writing or um, you're not huge on social media, but you're, you know, but you still want to get in front of people, building relationships through these kind of events are huge. And I've also heard the excuse that, well, you know, I'm not going to do this workshop. I'm not going to do this combine, you know, and not get paid. I have to get paid for stuff. But I, I think you have to look at these kind of events as this is your marketing budget. And instead of paying for advertising, you're spending a couple hours of your time to go and do something that potentially is going to get you in front of a lot of people. So putting on workshops and clinics and combines, those are all great ideas. And uh, the last thing I'm going to kind of wrap up with, I 
really liked how you began this segment by saying that marketing is storytelling and sales is influencing uh, or influencing someone to make a decision. And I think if, if that's, you know, all that someone takes from this, it's a, it's a great concept to think about. And um, I think that Gary Vaynerchuk pretty much wrote a book about that. Was it called Jab, Jab, Right Hook? Yes. Um, you know, and it's basically marketing is telling the story through small jabs and then um, the right hook is influencing someone to take action. So um, awesome stuff. Again, Ryan crushed it. Appreciate your time. Hey, my pleasure. My pleasure. I'm happy I could do that. I have one last, you brought up one thing with me and I do wanted it. to bring up the storytelling to influencing in the camps and clinics and things yeah. like that, how they yeah. tie together. Basically what you're doing with these combines or workshops and the storytelling piece of this, you're telling the athlete or you're showing the athlete things that they may not be good at. Mm-hmm. So it's areas of opportunity. So that's what we call kind of like problem awareness. And mm-hmm. that's a part of the story. The next step is helping them discover how to fix it, which is like what you're doing in those workshops. So that's how you're telling that story across the board, which may not have, you know, that was tough to draw the connection when you're talking about a workshop and storytelling. How, how does that, that come together? But that's really what you're doing through that workshop. You're telling that story of how you can help this athlete, the problems that they have and how you're the solution. Um, and so that was great. I'm glad you circled back to that so I could draw that reference. Awesome. All right, Ryan, appreciate your time again. We will talk real soon. Hey, my pleasure. We're back for another coaching segment on uh, the Impact Show. I'm here with Red Wakeham and his little cute doggy Maximus, who is definitely going to interject during this segment, I'm pretty sure. Please, no! (laughs) Red, I want to talk to you about how you go about developing a team or what you've seen other coaches do that works because you've worked with a lot of great coaches and a lot of coaches who have not been able to develop a, to develop a team as well. And so have I, and I want to hear what you've seen or done that has helped develop a team. All right. Yeah, I'll start us. And then I want you to interject and tell me the secrets. <laughs> uh, for me, you know, I'm going to steal some stuff. And I, so I'm going to mention this guy. So if there's listeners out there who get an opportunity to learn from this guy, uh, he's one of the best in the business. I've learned a lot of stuff from him leadership wise and team cohesion wise. And his name is Eric Kapitulik. Hmm. Eric runs a leadership development program uh, called the, called the program. And he, uh, uh, we brought him in to work with nine of our teams over the years. And he's got a, like a two day thing that he brings them through kind of like seal training, if you will. Oh yeah. I've heard of this. Yeah, I think you may have told me, and so so have other people. It sounds like it's a great program. Yeah, I, I was I, I learned more than the, probably the people, uh, and I sat down with him multiple times. And you know, a uh, a compliment to both him and you, you guys remind me of each other. He, he's a very precise talker, great looking guy. Yeah, very handsome, <laughs> muscular. <laughs> uh, so uh, just to, he. I met him probably 10 years ago when he uh, came with our softball team and he just blew me away. And then I sat down and talked to them and uh, just very similar thoughts on stuff. But he, he kind of had it better organized than I did in my own mind. And I wrote on a lot of stuff that he said. So I want to share some of those things because they've helped me and I still use a lot of yeah. them. Yeah, hit us. So uh, 
what we talked about with him and what I've done since is he was all about creating a culture. And I, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, we talk about this sometimes, oh, yeah. like you got to create culture because culture kind of dictates behavior, behavior influences actions, actions repetitively develop mastery in every sort of area. Mm-hmm. So culture is the first thing though. The question is kind of how do you develop culture? Well, his suggestion, and I loved it, was you got to bring people in who believe what you believe. And uh, when I first started, you know, I was all over the place. I was like, oh, I got to bring people in who believe different than I believe so I can continue to grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and that's a pretty common way of thinking. I, it, I think that sometimes too myself. So I get it. Yeah. Yep. It's a, a way a lot of people think, well, and that's, I'm not saying that's the wrong way. I'm just saying, you know what? He suggested something different and it hit me as something with my personality that I thought, you know what? He's probably right. And he said this one time when he, I, he was talking to one of our coaches. He said, coach, you can wait four years for somebody to buy into your program. But I'm not sure why you would. <laughs> and I just thought, oh my God, I just, I love that. I never yeah, forgot yeah, yeah. that part of the conversation. And I thought, you know what? I've tried to convince people with high energy and just dominating facts. And I thought, you know what? Why am I wasting my time? We all believe something that works for us in our situation. And if those people around us or somebody that's applying for a job don't believe, no problem. Then I'll find somebody else who does believe. <laughs> yeah. And that's been very efficient for me. So that's number one for me is is uh, boil it down. Like I, and this is a hard part. Molly and I sat down, my assistant and I sat down and we thought, you know, what is it that we're looking for in our staff members as an example? Because that's a team for me. Yeah. So we started off with like 40 and then we dropped it to like 20 and then we dropped it to 10. And that's where it started to get hard. And we said, uh, we're looking for people who are detail-oriented. We're looking for people who are mature, who can take uh, a, what I call observational, um, not criticism, but critique, mm-hmm. let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were looking for initiators, people who mm-hmm. were kind of uh, in, you know, enthusiastic enough where they would ask questions on their own, where they would show up early, sh- stay late, come uh, you know, when they didn't have to work to gain more knowledge, initiators. For sure. Absolutely. So that's what we did to try to gain culture is we looked at what are our core values, find people who believe what we believe, bring them into our culture. And then obviously you didn't have to convince anybody from a collection of individuals to be part of your team. They were part of your team because they were born to be part of your team. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that really helped us also. And the, to, and again, uh, to develop culture, ultimately to develop a team, I believe, and Eric kind of brought this home for me, you have to have standards. And what Eric said was that... Uh, was that there's a difference between goals and standards. Goals are kind of where you're going, what you hope to achieve. Uh, But if you don't achieve it today, it's no problem because you'll have tomorrow to wake up and attack it again. Mm -hmm. Uh, Standards, though, are how you're going to go about your business to achieve uh, the goals that you have. It's what we stand for every Mm. single day. It's like with Coach Izzo, you know you're going to get defense and you know you're going to get rebounding. Mm -hmm. That's what they stand for. So 
we try to develop standards also. Like with our uh, athletes, we have a standard of relentless effort and we measure it. So when, when they go to, we, there's certain exercises where they have to go to RMs. It's measured. They have to overload. maximum, yeah. Yeah. Go they, as many as you can, yeah. Yep. They have to overload. They have to progress. If they don't progress, they get uh, a consequence. They have to partner coach. We call it vigorous partner coaching. We have a standard of one emotive or one um, technical feedback on every exercise minimum, or they get a consequence. Mm-hmm. So again, you have to have standards which embrace your culture. You're only as good as uh, the standards. And you and everybody says this, right, Jimmy? When we get, uh, you must get frustrated with this yourself, especially when you're at the collegiate side. Coaches say this all the time. We've got standards. And then sometimes I just want to ask them, do you have consequences for these standards? And do you implement these consequences every single time that the, con- that the standard is not met? Yeah. <laughs> because the answer almost... I'd say well over 90% is, oh, well, well yeah. yeah. I mean, it's really hard. Yeah. It's like parenting. It yeah, really no, is like parenting. It is like parenting. It's really, really difficult. Well, that's the hard part. To hold is people that, accountable every time, all the time. I think people just get tired. Yeah. They get worn down. They just don't want to anymore. But that's not a standard. Yeah. There's a difference between the two. So for me, how do you develop a team? You develop a culture. You bring people in who have the same core values as you do. Now, well, this is the hard part. I don't know. How would you handle this? We don't get to recruit our athletes. So it's harder for us to establish the culture we want because you know that not everybody, like I said, I want our people to be detail-oriented. Yeah. Well, some people, you know, that uh, the uh, coaches have recruited aren't detail-oriented. That's challenging. Mm-hmm. So you're asking me now, and I, I guess things that I like to do is the first The first thing I like to do is get people to know each other and to kind of break things down so it's less about only work and kind of understanding each other, uh, understanding you know, where somebody came from and maybe what motivates them, um, what makes them tick. Um, and then maybe establishing something more common. So I, I, I look back to something that I did a long time ago uh, with a basketball team um, at, at University of Detroit when I was coaching. And I sat all these kids down in a dark room. It was a locker room, turned off all the lights and there was, I, I told them a few days beforehand that they all needed to bring something sp- that represented something special to them. And then we turned off the lights, had one candle, and whoever had the candle was the only person allowed to talk. And they talked about that special thing and why it was important to them. And then we'd pass the candle, and then the next person could talk. And while the, while the, if you didn't have the candle, you didn't get to talk. Mm-hmm. So it gave them the opportunity to, to you know, to kind of have the floor. And if, so I felt like I needed to get it started. And I, and I kind of poured some stuff out, you know, from uh, from my past and let them, I let them know about me, but I also gave them the example of what is to come. By the end of this thing, there 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 were dudes like crying because they didn't have a chance to ever like have the floor. And open up about something. So I let them know, uh, or they let each other know, like about them. So that was that was amazing. And I still have guys come back and tell me, like, 
man, you know what, you know what I remember? I remember passing that candle around, you know, like, so it was a memorable thing. Later on, we did something for team building that once they, once they knew each other, um, this was just a, this was just a really fun activity. We did, we did a, a, a pull the sheet and some people do like hold a rope and, and, and things like that. So I put a sheet, um, in the middle of a circle of guys and they all pulled the sheet as tight as they could, like in a, you know, as far away from them as they could, and super, super tight. And I talked about how easy that is to hold something that, that represented essentially, um, you know, the goal and what we're trying to, what we're trying to accomplish. And then I, I jumped up on the sheet and I said, you know, but sometimes, you know, there's weight on the sheet and things don't go perfectly. And then I took a kid and I said, and let's say, you know, so-and-so decided that he doesn't care about basketball anymore. And I made him let go. And then I took the next kid and said, he fails out of class and he had to let go. And, and before you know it, there were only five guys holding me up by this sheet and it was really hard from their hands are you know, dead. And, and I said, you know, when only a few guys are focused on the, on the goal, um, it's a lot harder. And then I let them all come back in and pull and how much easier it was. And then they started tossing me up. I mean, they were tossing me 10 feet in the air. It was really funny. <laughs> um, and it, it was, it was a riot, but once they knew each other, it broke down some barriers. And then we talked about a common goal and how they all needed to work together. Um, those were some things that worked really, really well. And, on our staff, when we first bring in interns, kind of get back what you were talking about. The first thing we do is we open up and I, I talk about myself, my background, my family, um, things that I've done. And then I let each person talk also. So we kind of get to know each other. And I think it really breaks things down. And then we introduce, here's how we do things. And here, you know, here's how we're going to establish um, our expectations. You know, these are our expectations and here's how you're, you know, you're going to fit in. So. I don't know. That's kind of my way of doing things. You know why I love that? I love that because I read some studies on cohesion, which suggests that the more that we have in common with each other, uh, the more cohesive we feel. And obviously, cohesion is a big part of any sort of a team. And what you ended up doing there by, number one, getting them all in a position to listen to each other is you got a chance for them to uh, find out what they had in common, mm -hmm. more than just the mission mm -hmm. about themselves as individuals. So I love that part. And I love the fact that you threw yourself out there uh, as the leader, showed vulnerability, and that set the tone for that whole team building exercise and allowed the other people and it kind of, if you will, inspired the other people to let down their guard mm -hmm. again to be vulnerable. Because, you know, I mean, for a bunch of guys, it's that, hard. Oh, no question, right? Really, that's really, that's really going to be a very memorable experience, especially because you're there with a guy who did the same thing. So again, that's another meaningful moment that we shared together, had in common. Mm -hmm. So I love it. Really good stuff. Well, hey, that's about as good a place to end as I can think of. Appreciate your thoughts on uh, building a team. And uh, that will wrap up our coaching segment for today. Thanks, Red. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Impact Show. We're glad you're joining us on this journey of making an impact on the people around you. Please visit us at jimkilbasso.com for more information and ideas to increase your impact. And of course, we hope you subscribe to our podcast to enjoy more tips, stories, and advice from our industry's leaders.